I would encourage you, please keep your digital or physical Bible in front of you because I'm going to refer to it a few times. So it'd be great if you can follow along in that way. Um, what a cool story. It's amazing. I'm going to tell you exactly why over the next 30 minutes or so. With this whole seeing and not seeing thing, it can be hard to fathom. So I was having a think about it this week, and Jacob's already re- given us some good ways of thinking about it, you know, like, is it the person with body odor who doesn't realize it? The person who has fooled themselves into thinking that a fedora is a great idea? I think for me, it's kind of like when I have hunger. This may be totally foreign to you, but when I get hungry, I get angry. Does anybody else have that? Yeah, 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 okay, there's a few people. Interestingly, probably the same amount of men and women in that. Usually this afflicts men worse, but good on you women for owning up to that because I agree that that's true. So what happens is when you're hangry, all of your faculties are totally normal. In fact, most of mine are heightened, but it is my observation of other people that is heightened. Nobody can drive as well as me when I'm hangry. They keep slowing down and speeding up. How hard is it to make one speed? People who are walking in front of me, they kind of zigzag. They slow down to look at their phone. Or, you know, I can just walk in a straight line. I'm efficient. How hard is it, people? I'm hangry. I can't realize. But then the worst thing that happens, when I'm hangry, I look at food that I think is food but is not food. Because the circuit breaker for my hunger is summed up in three letters. KFC. I look at that fried chicken. I see it on the boards and I think, I can have it now. It's instant. It's protein because it's chicken and that's real food. I can get this into me quickly. But any food that is served to you in a bucket is not real food. Come on, it's in a bucket. You give that to animals. It's not for people. And so... It's usually around the second piece of chicken that my brain starts to wake up. And I go, oh, it makes you fat. And then I look at my fingers and I'm like, they're just dripping with oil. What's happening inside me? And it's at that moment that I realized this probably wasn't real food. And so by the end of the bucket or box, I just feel ashamed. I sit there in my greasy self thinking, man, that's no good. Because while I could see, I couldn't see. Blame it on hunger. I think I'm the victim here. Anyway, let's pray and I'll tell you why it's relevant to this passage. Lord, we thank you that you are with us always, that you give us sight, and that you have given us a way to see the world that reflects your beauty and your glory, how marvelous you are. Amen. All right. So, let's get into this passage. Let's have a look. As I say, pull it out if it's in front of you. Go through the Bible as I'm talking about it. So, we're looking at the very beginning here. Uh, Jesus discusses 
with his disciples, this blind man that they encounter on the road. You know, his situation. And he ends his discussion about this man by saying that he is the light of the world. A very unusual thing to wrap up with when he's discussing this blind man's situation. And then he goes on to fix the physical blindness. He goes up to this man and he says to him, I'm going to make you see. Puts mud on his eyes, tells him to go wash in a pool called Scent. Sends him to Scent. Great. I mean, if you read the Bible, there's all sorts of stuff like that in there. It's not that interesting, really. Anyway, sends him to scent, washes his eyes, gets his vision back, which is amazing. People are like, whoa, you couldn't see before. His neighbors recognize him. Those are the first people. And they go, how did you see? He explains how he now sees. And then the Pharisees, who are the religious leaders of the day, also want to meet this guy. So his friends take him to the Pharisees. And they say, how is it that you can see? And the Pharisees get kind of hung up on this because the same day that Jesus gives him his sight, it says here at the beginning of John chapter 9 that it's the Sabbath, which is a holy day of rest. People are commanded, don't do any work on this holy day of rest. So these religious people are kind of hung up on this concept that a man born blind cannot suddenly get their sight back, so it requires something miraculous to happen. But would God do it on a day which is holy and where nothing is supposed to happen in general? So they get caught up in this loop of illogical logic. How does God heal in this time? And we'll come back to that. But I want to point out really clearly It's totally inconceivable that this guy would be healed. No point in history has this happened up to this moment that somebody born completely blind would suddenly see. And so it's miraculous what Jesus has done here. It takes something of the divine to do it. And so the miracle is then authenticated so that we know. The neighbors who know this man can testify This is him. We saw him blind. The religious leaders then question him twice, saying, okay, we think you were blind. How can you now see? And his parents also say he was definitely blind. Now he is seeing. So it is not just Jesus and this guy getting together and going, yeah, it happened. There are people around it saying, absolutely, this is the case. Now this story in this particular section of the Bible is not a story where Jesus says to his disciples, do as I do. Do not leave this building, or even in this building today, I see a few examples, think, that person's wearing glasses, I got a solution. Don't go up to them, spit on the ground, make mud and put mud on their eyes. Don't do that. Jesus here is demonstrating that he has a power over the physical nature of the world. Now, it's a totally impossible power unless it's something that is divine. But we see it time and time again throughout the Bible up to this moment that Jesus does that. So in John chapter 2, same book, if you flick backwards and want to have a look at it, it's the first miracle Jesus performs. Something miraculous happens where he's at a wedding, they run out of wine, 
And so Jesus says, no worries, bring me some water. He makes it into wine. He's like the God of the party. When you're out of wine, he gives you wine. First miracle that Jesus does, John chapter 2. And then Matthew 13. He feeds 5,000 people with just five loaves of bread and two fish. Good luck. Right? It is impossible for a person to do this sort of thing. But then we see it further in Mark 4. And when I say Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, these are all accounts of Jesus' life in the Bible. They're just separate books. So Mark 4, Jesus is lying down on a boat. He's having a great snooze. And then people get a little bit worried around him because their boat's going to capsize. And so he says to the waves and the wind, chill, and it stops. Amazing! Totally impossible for a human. And so Jesus demonstrates that he has authority over the physical. Now I realize not everyone in this room today will simply accept that Jesus has authority over the physical world like that. For those people, come talk to me about it later. Love to have a chat with you. But for Christians... This is one of the things, this is part of the outrageous nature of Jesus that we would say that's what makes him God. That's what sets him apart. And so I'm going to move forward assuming that that is the case because I do believe that Jesus is God and he does have power over the physical in this way. So Jesus heals this guy who is totally blind. But there's a second kind of blindness here. We've already alluded to it a bit. And it is the blindness of the religious people who can't see that Jesus is God. So let's go back. Those people were referred to as the Pharisees. And you might remember I mentioned they're kind of stuck in this logic loop. So they're like, there's this holy day and Jesus performs a miracle and gives somebody their sight. So on this holy day when you're not supposed to do anything, Jesus has provided sight back. Sight couldn't have been provided without God. And so we're stuck in this cycle of, well, would God work on that day? It requires God. I have to acknowledge that. What's going on here? And they're stuck in this perpetual loop. So what breaks this loop in the story? Well, the Pharisees question him. When they question him and question him again and again, this guy who can now see, they say, we need outside assistance to disprove that he was blind. Because this may all be a huge conspiracy. And so they bring in this blind guy's parents. Now his parents have the scales completely tipped against them. There's basically no equivalent for this in Australian society. Uh, the, his parents are threatened with, if they acknowledge that Jesus is the Christ, then they're going to be put out of the temple. To be put out of the temple doesn't mean a lot to us. There's no equivalent, but it's basically, imagine you were told, if you say that Jesus is the Christ, that is God, that he can perform this sign, then you are not allowed to speak to your family 
or any of your friends ever again. That is what his parents are facing. And so because of that, his parents give the answer that they do. And that is, they say, yes, he is our son. Yes, he was born blind. I don't know about the Jesus thing. Maybe, I wasn't there. You should ask him, he's of age. That's why you get that. It's, they have everything tipped against them. And there's no way out for them. And so they come back to this same logic loop. It requires God to make a man see from when he's blind, but would God do it on the holy day? So why is it that they're stuck here? It's actually the blind man who makes them see that they're stuck in this loop. If you go down to verse 27, it says, Are you so keen to know because you would like to be his disciples? And then the Pharisees turn into what's happening out there. They don't start singing. I'm very distracted by that too. They turn into virtual four-year-olds, right? These religious leaders, they can't handle that this guy has said to them, do you want to know because you want to be his disciples? And they go, nuh-uh, you, you follow Jesus. We follow Moses, and he's definitely from God, and you should go, get out. It's the four-year-old equivalent of being like, because. Have you ever argued with a four-year-old? I've made that mistake, right? Every, I, th- I think every parent has made that mistake at some stage. Once a, c- a kid has in their mind that they're right, and they say, just because, anything you say to them, is irrelevant. They are right. And their answer, because, is the right answer. And the Pharisees are convinced of the same thing here. They just go, get out. There's no answer to this. The blind man has called them on it. And so what the real problem is is that these guys have made the rules that they've been trying to follow. The fact that it's a holy day, they have made that their God rather than God himself. So in trying to follow God, they follow these rules stringently. But the rules are meant to be a way to serve God. Rather, they have made the rules themselves God and they serve those rules. And this blind guy is calling them on it, and they hate it. And as time progresses, as you read the book of John, you'll see more and more, they actually dive deeper into this cycle, and they see Jesus less and less clearly. So, as I say, vision can be distorted, just like hunger. These Pharisees are like a big bunch of guys with hunger. They think that they're eating the right foods. They see that protein, but in reality, they're getting zero nourishment. They've been deceived. 
Their vision is totally corrupt. So we've got to consider then, is this something that can happen to anyone? I would say yes. This can happen to not just non-Christians, but Christians as well. So both categories of people. As Christians, you can get hung up on, I want to do the right thing serving God. And then it becomes a rule-based system. There's very little joy from it. As a non-Christian, the same thing can happen. But what we think is true sight is in fact just a smokescreen. It's like a mirage. You know, we walk through mist. We think we can see things. and We fool ourselves into really believing that we can. But we can't. And it can be clear. There's a long dead pastor called Jonathan Edwards and he put it really well. He said, we are body-bound creatures because of our fallenness. Spiritual realities are simply not as real to us as sense experiences. So sometimes Jesus cannot feel as real as the wood that I touch here on the podium or the rocks under our feet as we walk. But Jesus is equally as real. We can just be blind to it sometimes. So what does open eyes in the case of spiritual blindness? How do we correct our vision? Well, it's not clever arguments. Right? You can't argue somebody's eyes open. It doesn't work. Because we're talking about a spiritual problem. And an argument would be a physical answer. There is no physical answer to a spiritual problem. So, how is it that our eyes are open? Well, consider the passage. Who does Jesus go to in this passage? Everyone at the start of this passage has their eyes closed. They're spiritually blind, except for maybe the disciples. But Jesus goes to the man who is born physically blind. He is fully aware of his deficiency. Nobody needs to tell him he is blind. He wakes up every day knowing he is blind and he needs people to help him. The Pharisees, on the other hand, they wake up every day believing that they can justify themselves before God, that their rules will save them, that they are right before God and they have hardened their hearts to see the true reality. Jesus doesn't go to these Pharisees first. Jesus goes to the blind man who knows he needs help. It's a common thing in Jesus' ministry. Jesus always goes to the people who need help. If you read the four accounts, he spends most of his time with the broken, the people whose society would usually reject, and who these religious zealots known as the Pharisees label as sinners. Isn't it strange that Jesus would become kind of the enemy of the religion which these people are trying to follow? Unless it's no longer the religion they're trying to follow. 
Because it could be that the religion they're trying to follow is actually their God rather than the God that it points to. Now, we see at the end of this chapter, if you start to flick through, go down to verse 35. If you've got it in front of you, that's helpful because it'll remind you what we're talking about. Uh, Jesus talked to the blind man about being the son of man. And this is a reference, so I'm getting to 35 and 38, why it's important. But Jesus is talking about the blind man, about being the son of man. Uh, And this is a reference to being a predicted Messiah or God appearing on earth in the Old Testament. So in the back half, in the front half, sorry, of the whole Bible, it all points towards God somehow coming to earth and fixing things up. And Jesus is here very clearly referring to himself as that person. And the Pharisees come and they challenge him. And they say to him, are we also blind? Because all they can see is that Jesus has healed this blind man. And they say, are we also blind? But they're doing it in a mocking way. They're like, so are we blind? Jesus responds very directly. In verse 41, he says, If you were blind, you would have no guilt, but now you say we see, your guilt remains. Pharisees condemn themselves saying that we see, we understand spiritual reality, we follow these laws. Jesus is saying because you don't get it, but you say you do, That's what's going to condemn you. But this is a trap that we can all fall into. We're all, I put myself in this category, we're all kind of prideful people, creatures in some way. And a a common argument is, well, how do I put myself right before God? And it might be like, well, I know God wants me to do good stuff. Jesus kind of generally helped people. So I'm going to do that. I'm going to do good deeds and that will get me to heaven. This is just totally flawed. Because how many good deeds do you need to do to get to heaven? And what if you do something bad? Right? Is there a cosmic scale which you need to tip in your favor? Or or another common way of putting it would be people reach for the extremes, right? They go, well, I'm nothing like Hitler or Stalin or Mao or any of those guys. I'm pretty good. But this whole good deeds thing has already been busted, totally and utterly blown out of the water. If you go back to the Old Testament again, in a book of Isaiah... There's a guy who's talking about the future a lot. He talks about Jesus, but he says of good deeds, in God's sight, each of our good deeds is like a filthy rag. If each of our good deeds is like a filthy rag in God's eyes, how can we pile up enough good deeds or filthy rags that God thinks, you know what, you got a lot of rags, I'm going to let you in. It doesn't make sense. And Jesus is getting to the heart of that here. We have a tendency to sort of make up a version of we see things clearly. But that's because our vision is distorted 
by removing God from the picture or placing something higher than God, and that would be sin. So our vision is distorted by sin, and we can't necessarily see that until Jesus says that's the case. So we think the whole good deeds things might work, but Jesus is saying, no, 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 you can't do that. I came to do that. That's what I'm doing here specifically. We need our eyes to be opened for us. Jesus can do it. Jesus wants to do it. And here's the good news. Right? This is what it means for you. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tackle what does it mean for Christians first, and then I'm going to look at what does it mean for non-Christians. Okay, for Christians, it is literally the last song we sang. It is So Will I. Okay? How, how do I worship best? I'll give you an example because we all worship best differently. But the way that I worship best is uh, I will go down to the bush by myself or I'll go to the park or I'll look out at my balcony in Ashfield across at another park, just anywhere where God has generally made most of the stuff that's there, so not buildings. And I'll look at the trees. And I'm a simple guy, so I'm like, wow, there's like a lot of different kinds of trees. You know, they got different leaves. They grow in different ways. And God made each of them. But really, God only needed to make one tree for me to breathe properly. He could have made that one tree and like SimCity, copy-paste, 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 everywhere. But he didn't. Because he's creative and generous and he's made this beautiful, amazing world. And it's through these eyes that I can see the amazingness of God. One of the lines in that song was, the heavens declare your glory. That's taken directly from Psalm 19. It's amazing. When you look up at the sky, it's all put in place. There's science that means that the clouds form a certain way and we see the sky as blue. But God has put that into motion because he's a God that created everything and he's generous. I'll give you another example, right? We only needed one flavor. We only needed chocolate. But God was like, I'm going to give you vanilla, I'm going to give you strawberry, and I'm going to give you cheeses and all sorts of other things. He's generous, right? It spills outward. It's amazing. And I see that every time I eat. Every time I eat, I think, wow, we only needed one type of protein. The chicken will do just fine. But God made so many kinds of proteins that even vegans have something to eat. God is generous, he's creative, he's passed that on to us. So how do you maybe worship differently if you're a different kind of Christian to me? Well, you might go, I worship God best by singing. We do it together every week and it's great. But because God is creative and passed us on to that, we can see the brilliance of God in singing and praising him in different ways. We don't have to sing crowns over and over again, no matter how great a good song it is. Can sing different songs. We can praise God. We can connect with God. And that is through the new eyes that I see the world. Christians in this room, rejoice. It is awesome. For the non-Christians, 
the great invitation awaits you. You know, when we read this story, I've already said it. Who does Jesus go to? It's the man that he heals. Everyone. Everyone in the world. And so very confidently I say everyone in this room as an extension is broken in some way. There are hard times in our lives. Loved ones might die or we'll have a physical problem or even a mental problem. Jesus comes for those people. Jesus is the great healer. He healed this man's physical blindness. But he also opens his eyes so that when he says, do you know the Son of Man? And the man says, tell me, who is he? When Jesus says that it's himself, he recognizes it. And he worships Jesus. But Jesus didn't just come for the broken. Jesus came for everyone. Wealthy tax collectors, religious leaders who acknowledge him, a Roman centurion who was an occupying army at the time. Any person who expresses their need for Jesus, he comes to with kindness and compassion and never turns them away. If you are a non-Christian and you think, I have kind of some level of brokenness or I don't think that I'm blind, I'm telling you Jesus has an answer for that exactly. Because I know this because Jesus has opened my eyes. I know this because Jesus heals brokenness. Churches are not made up of religious people like the Pharisees who think they have it all together and they can do it. Churches are made up of people who say, I can't do it. I need Jesus to do it for me. And next week at Easter, you'll hear exactly how Jesus has made it possible that you would be reconciled to God. Because the filthy rags will never do it. But Jesus has made it even easier than that. It is for everyone, the broken, the wealthy, the leaders, the elites, the average, that Jesus has come. The exact story that's written in this passage here. Jesus came for you. Let me close in prayer. Oh God, we're excited. (laughs) Thank you so much for all that you've done for all of us. That you would open our eyes. That you would offer us the opportunity to have our eyes open. That you have done the work and that you have given us your word as an assurance. Father, I pray that you would make yourself even more beautiful to those of us who believe we have our eyes open. And for those of us who may want to have our eyes open, Lord, I pray that you would do so. Lord, we throw ourselves on your mercy and we say thank you. Amen.